G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Fathers, it's daunting, but we've got a task before us, and the task is to be like the fatherhood of God. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff speaks about modelling fatherhood. He speaks about his own father and his experiences of parenting and gives us biblical illustrations of God as a relational, personal father figure. If I have any chance of being the kind of dad that would create a home where my children can grow up with a sense of health and vitality of the soul, the spirit, the emotions, then it's probably important that I find out what kind of father this God is and then try to model my fatherhood after that father. This is Today with Jeff Vines. So glad you're here. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I love Father's Day. You know, I think about my dad. My dad was uh, uh, authoritarian, but he was also a great man of mercy and grace. And he did a lot of funny, funny things, my dad. Uh, He was about 5'8", about 170 pounds. And uh, I got my height from my mom, not my dad, obviously. But I remember on one occasion, dad's coming home. And we lived at the bottom of a hill, and my brothers and I had three of them. Uh, we would stand out on the front porch when we were in, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and we'd watch for my dad to get home about 5.30 from work. And I remember the one day he's driving, he's coming home from work, we're out on the front porch watching, and he's driving sporadically. He's, he comes down the hill, but then he backs the car up again, as if he didn't want to come home. Then he drives down the hill and backs the car up. And every time he comes forward again, he swerves. He's, he's moving from side to side, left to right. And after, I don't know, about 10 minutes of this, he finally parks the car in the driveway and he explains to us what happened. He said, yeah, well, when I came down the hill the first time, I hit inadvertently a possum. And I could tell the possum was in pain, so I kept reversing, trying to put it out of its misery. <laughs> That's my dad. So, but he's a horrible driver, though. So, you know, once a, once a possum's in pain, he tr- kept trying to run over its head, but couldn't manage to do it. So that's my dad. Another occasion, another occasion, my father bought a 45. You know, 45, right? And uh, he, you're not, you weren't allowed to shoot or fire a gun in the city limits. You had to take it out to the country, then you could do whatever you wanted. And, of course, my dad knew all the policemen, and they all knew him, so he could get away with stuff. But my little brother had uh, bought a, uh, or someone had bought my little brother a, a gerbil, hamster, are they the same thing? Don't, don't get into the rodent family, but anyway. And the, uh, uh, he, the, the gerbil or the hamster got into the rat poison behind the refrigerator door. And so my dad, I never saw a look like this on my dad's face. It was bittersweet because it was bitter in that my, my brother lost his gerbil. It was sweet and my dad got the trout his gun. Because he looks over to my brother and he says, you know, this, this gerbil's in a lot of pain and suffering. We need to end it. Let me go get my gun. And he took it out in our front lawn 
Now, can you imagine when a 45 bullet hits a little jerk? What happens? I mean, it was like, it scarred me for life. And I, my dad was so happy that he got to shoot his gun. I wish I could tell you that no animals were hurt in this illustration, but he was hurt pretty bad. Over time in my life as a father, I've learned something very valuable and uh, it's daunting and it's going to be hard, but I've learned that my children view God in the way they view me. So whatever they see in dad, they project that unto God. So if I am a father who is authoritative without love, mercy, and grace, then they grow up thinking God is the same way, just out to get you every time you mess up. If I'm a father that no matter what you do, you can never please me, then you grow up thinking God's the same way. If, if I cheat on my wife, then my kids grow up believing that God cannot be trusted and is unfaithful. If, uh, if I'm a narcissist, if my entire life is about cars and wealth and houses, then they grow up thinking God is a self-centered entity all about his universe with no care or concern about the individual. It's daunting to learn that, but it's true. The Bible gives us a picture of God that is unique to any other world system or faith system. In Romans chapter 8, just two little verses that may not be earth shattering to you, but the first people who heard it, it would have shaken their world. Here's how it goes. Paul says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, you're the children of God now. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father? God is a father? God is... That's the word for daddy. God is a dad, daddy, intimacy. In the Indian culture, papaji, a term of respect, but a term of endearment. People often say, well, isn't the God of Islam the same God of Christianity? I say, absolutely not, because Allah is an impersonal deity. The God of the Bible is very personal, very relational. So here's what I've learned in my life. If God is my father... And he's about relationship. Then if I have any chance of being the kind of dad that would create a home where my children can grow up with a sense of health and vitality of the soul, of the spirit, the emotions, then it's probably important that I find out what kind of father this God is and then I try to emulate, I try to model my fatherhood after that father. Now, that's going to be difficult because we're finite. He's infinite. So we're going to make mistakes. But at least that's the goal. And here's what I learned in the Bible. I learned that there are four words primarily used to describe the fatherhood of God. And they all start with S's. Sovereign. Servant leader. Sacrificial and supreme, or supremacy. And insofar as a father that I model those things in my life to my children, then I will create a home where they will grow up and be successful. Now let's, let's get past all the stuff that we're 
never, we never talk about. We're, we know now, after 40 years of studying family life in America, we now know that kids are not resilient. And that when the family fractures, so do the kids. We now know that daycare centers aren't as effective as raising our kids as mom and dads. We know we have to use them, but we know they're not as effective. 40 years of research, we know now that when mom and dad break up and divorce, that it has lasting effects on the kid. Okay, let's just get it out. I know divorce happens. I know it's the real world. I know sometimes these things happen, but let's not lie anymore. We know that if society ever has a chance of making it, the family has to stay together. We know now that through hundreds of years of history, beginning with the Greco-Roman Empire, that if you want to destroy a nation or an entity, start destroying first the family and soon the nation will crumble. And we now know that in America, our families are not staying together. They're in disarray. And as a result, our culture is all messed up. So let's just be honest. Let's not hide our head in the sand. Fathers, it's daunting, but we've got a task before us. And the task is to admit that as we look around and see our families and see the things that are messed up in our families, a lot of it, a lot of it is directly related to our inability as dads to be like the fatherhood of God. So what do we do? We set the mark high, we aim for it. Because there's, there are people whose lives have been in ruin because of their relationship with their dad. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff's message is about modelling fatherhood and God as a sovereign, just father who lets us make our own choices, but tests those he loves. So what do we do? So number one, God is sovereign. He's the ruler of the biggest house. You know what sovereignty is, right, little boy? His mom says, go out to the, go out to the shed and I want you to bring me the broom. But it's dark, it's late at night. So the little boy says, mom, I'm afraid. I, the boogeyman's out there. I'm afraid of the dark. I don't want to go out. I don't want to go get the broom. And she said, son, I've told you that you're never alone, that God is everywhere. He's always with you. So even when you go to the shed, God is right there. You're never alone. So now go and fetch the broom. He didn't go and fetch the broom. Instead, he raised his voice and he said, God, if you're out there, would you please fetch me the broom from the shed? <laughs> That's what we mean by sovereignty. We often quote Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. When we talk about sovereignty, we talk about God is large and in charge and he's in charge of everyone and everything. Now, here's the question. This will help us as fathers. I wonder how many people think that God is doing a poor job. That's the number one question I get on radio. When someone calls in, it's only a matter of time. How can you believe in God? God should wipe out the evil people in this world. And preparing this message for Father's Day weekend, I came up with a new response because I get bored with my old ones. And the response is this. You're a dad. Why don't you remove your son when he does something evil? And the answer is because you love him. And the Bible says that God loves his children, even the ones who mess up. And so God is sovereign, yet that sovereignty is tempered with an incredible amount of grace, mercy. I've been in ministry for 30 years, and I have met father after father who's devastated by how their sons or daughters turned out. So much so that they spend most of their time just weeping 
But I've never yet met a father who said they wished that their child had never been born. Why? Because no matter what the child does, ask any mother, when the cops show up at the front door, still her boy. In fact, the Bible makes a rather definitive statement in Matthew 5. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So this is a father in the Bible that loves his children so much that he gives all of them, even those who reject him, common graces of rain and sunshine and food and shelter and clothing. He's a generous father. And we're in this new series called Generosity, and I'm not sure anybody is as generous as a good, good father. Maybe a good, good mother. Why does God love his children like this? Because they're his children. Now, this brings up, here's the, here's the issue of sovereignty. It's tough being a dad, isn't it? Tough. The things that keep me up at night uh, are not used to my golf game would keep me up at night. I've given up on that. That doesn't do it anymore. People used to keep me up wondering and worried about what they said, but I just don't care anymore. I mean, I care, but I've lived life long enough now to know you're never going to make everybody happy. You shouldn't lose any sleep over it. You know what keeps me up awake at, at, at this time in my life is simply my children. And here's why. Because I can't make their choices for them. So I'm the sovereign over the house but I can't force them. I can only teach them. And I still love them when they make mistakes. And do you know why? Because I've been created in the image of God. I'm like God and he loves his children, even when they blow it, because they're still his kids. But the ultimate lesson a father learns from a sovereign God is that God is able to be sovereign over all things, give us free will to make our own choices. But at the same time, the Bible teaches us that he tempers all of that with justice. So the Bible says that God's mercies are new every day for you. But it also says that God will discipline those he loves. That's the, that's the dichotomy of sovereignty for every father. We're responsible to teach. We can't make choices for them. But do you know we're also responsible to discipline? The Bible says discipline is not hate. The lack of discipline is apathy, which is worse than hate. So that when I give my child instructions and he disobeys and there is retribution or punishment, it's not because I don't love him. It's because I'm trying to protect him from a greater evil. Let me give you an example. My son Delaney, when he was a little boy, even to this day, he loves to think, take things apart and put them back together again. When he was a little boy, he loved to go around the wall and stick his finger in the light sockets. That's not a good thing to do. And if he could find any kind of knife or casing or whatever he could to stick in the hole, he would because he wanted to see what would happen. When we got a VCR, and I know most of you have no idea what that is. <laughs> and so when we got our VCR, Delaney took his little hands and he would put it through the box just to fill around in there. Not a healthy thing to do. And so when I caught him, I smacked his little arm. No emails because I don't care what you think about that. Smacked his little arm. He didn't kill him. He didn't wound him for the rest of his life. He looked at me. First, he cried, but it was fake. And I was kind of like, eh. And then he smiled at me. He laughed at me. And without removing the stare, he put his hand back in the VCR. So I smacked his little hand again. He pulls it out. Gives me another cry. Then laughs at me. 
looks at me in the eye, puts it back in. Thank God I had read James Dobson's book on tough love, so I knew this was our first battle and I had to win it. 17 times I smacked his little arm. 17 times he put it back in the VCR. Finally, and he was fine. I didn't break his arm. It wasn't child abuse. Finally, he gives up and he crawls back into his bedroom. But just before he gets into it, he turns around one final look and he mutters something in baby talk. What he didn't understand is I'm fluent in baby talk. I translated. He said, I'll be back. Now, why would I go through that with Delaney? Because I love him and I don't want him to get electrocuted. This is what a sovereign God does. He's sovereign over us. He gives us the ability to make our own choices. But at the same time, to keep us from going down a path that will destroy us, he disciplines us during seasons of our lives to put us back on the right path. That's what a good father does. And a good father knows the balance between both. If you're all the time punishing without love and grace and mercy, then he's going to thank God as a punishing God. But if you're laying down the law, a law that protects, not abuses or enslaves, but gives ultimate freedom. If you're laying that law down and you're clear about it as a dad, and then your son or daughter knows that you love them enough to enforce it, then over time they grow to know that they should respect authority and that they should love their parents because their parents can be trusted to protect them from a greater harm. But it's not only the sovereignty, a sovereignty tempered with grace and mercy. It's also this idea of servant leadership. Children learn best by demonstration, dads. Now, here's where it gets good. What makes Jesus so different? Jesus is the only religious leader ever to claim divinity, but live out a life of humility. Think about it. He says, I am. I created all things. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh. He holds all things together. He's the master. He calms the winds and the waves. And yet he's so powerful that he holds all things together. He creates all things. And yet he's humble enough to have the little children come sit on his lap and to heal the brokenhearted and to restore those with great empathy and compassion. This God of the universe could just simply command everybody to love him. Or can you? Can you do that? Can you command love? No. If God were just after obedience, he could make all of us like robots and force us to obey. But he's not after obedience. He's after love. He's a personal God. Which means that rather than force us to obey, he chooses to take on the form of a servant and compel us to love him. He wanted to make sure the disciples understood this. So something interesting happens in John 13. Look at how this is connected. In verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, that's a great statement, but it seems to be disconnected from the next part. So, so Jesus knows the Father, put all things under his feet, that he's in charge of everything, he's sovereign over all the world. So, he got up from the mill, took, out his, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. And you know what he's going to do, right? He's going to wash the feet of the disciples. Now explain that to me. Jesus, Jesus knowing that he was over all things, took off his shirt, put a towel around and washed the disciples' feet. What's the point? He didn't want the disciples to misunderstand his mission. If he wanted to force everyone into submission, he would have come another way. There would have been a big parade downtown Jerusalem rather than being born in a cave. 
he would have forced Herod to submit rather than run away into Egypt. But he came not to force, but to compel love. This is what fatherhood does. If you just rule with an iron fist and you command your kids to do whatever it is you want them to do, that's not love. That's a sovereignty that abuses. But a real father will not only mouth instruction to the child, but actually get down on knee and demonstrate. Whatever is required from a father to a child will be ultimately demonstrated. Otherwise, it's nothing more than hypocrisy. The greatest lessons that I learned from my father were not the things he said, but what I saw him do. I learned how to treat and love a woman by watching my dad and the way he treated my mom. That's why I tell young guys, hey, before you get married, young girls especially, before you get married, go meet the in-laws and see how he treats his wife. I learned the value of giving the first fruits of my life to a purpose bigger and outside myself because my father put a little envelope on the mantle of our home every Saturday and it said God's money. And it was my way, my dad's way of showing his children that the very first fruits, the very best of what I had goes to God. He didn't have to put it in an envelope and write that, but he knew that we'd walk by the mantle and see it. And then on Sunday, when we all went to church, he would put it in his pocket and make sure that his son saw what he was doing in the offering time. My father taught us to have a regard for sacred things. And he believed that if you gave God the first day, the first fruits of your life, then you bring a blessing down on your life for the rest of the week. So a non-negotiable in my father's life was that every Sunday morning, everyone gets out of bed. It didn't matter what age, you didn't get a choice. On Sunday morning, the entire family, and I'm talking about even when you're 16 years old, you're still living in my roof, right? So if you live in this house, this household gives the very first fruits of their lives to God. And he taught me to honor the things that were important to honor and put things first, first. Those lessons I learned from my father were all through actions, not words. I don't ever remember my dad telling me you ought to go to church on, no. This is what we did as a family. And my father also taught me how important it was to read the Bible and to engage in prayer with a sovereign God. But he never told me I had to. I just constantly saw him beginning his day in scripture and prayer. He didn't always get it right because he's finite. He wanted to teach us the lesson of how important it was for us to be involved in fighting injustice. My dad was fighting injustice before it was popular. And we had these neighbors across the street and he had the two of the sweetest little kids and a lovely wife. And every Friday night after he got paid, he would go and get drunk and come home and beat his wife and kids. You could hear their screams coming from the other side of the road. But dad knew that he couldn't cross the street and go into their property. All the policemen in our neighborhood were his buddies, but he knew what he could and could not do. So I saw my dad wait sometimes on a Friday night. And he told all four of us boys, he said, you know, one of these days she's going to scream for her life. And the only thing she'll know to do is run to me and she'll come across into my yard. And when she does, I'm going to kill him. And he would have. He even joined the auxiliary police so he could get one of those batons. (laughs) And sure enough, one Saturday morning, about two or 3 a.m., I was in bed and there was a ruckus in the front of the house and I ran and dad had this guy on the ground. He was beating her. She came over. 
My mother was protecting her. My dad was beating this guy to a pulp. In the name of Jesus, of course. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. He didn't get everything right, but I remember that. I remember it was dad's way of saying, don't you dare turn a blind eye to injustice. My dad was always willing to get involved. Of course, you know the rest of the story, right? Right? The woman who was being beaten accused my dad of coming over and dragging them over to there. You know how that goes. But my dad knew that, but he didn't care. I think it was a couple of weeks after that, the guy left the family. Whatever happened that night caused the guy to at least get away from the family. And he ends up, my father, saving the life of those little kids and that wife. Servant leader. Jesus gave up everything to come here and save us. And not just to tell us what to do, but get down on one knee and demonstrate. That's what a good father does. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll leave it there for today, but join us next time to hear more about God as a sovereign father who leads by example in modelling fatherhood. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.